tell you, Christianity is not a religious formality. It's a personal relationship with the God of heaven. And for you to understand what he's done for you is to really understand how much God loves you. Because until we understand that which he's done, we cannot really understand that great verse for God so loved the world. I want you to just think about, as, as I, I go back to that again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I do not think that you're harming the text at all. That if you take that text and you, you remove the, the general terminology of world and place your own name there. And folks, that's when it becomes very personal. And I want you to think about that right now, for God so loved, and then I want you to put your name. And then see what the, the Bible says. I'm going I'm to repeat that verse again. John 3.16. Many of you know that by memory. But I want you to just repeat that. But again, as, as putting the, 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 the word world in there, put your name. Put your, what people call you by. People call me by Johnny, so I'll say Johnny. And so let's just speak that word together. But then there will be a course of, of, of different names as we speak it. For God so loved Johnny that he gave his only begotten son. And if Johnny would believe in him, did not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, when Christ came, he came that each of us may have life. But how did he accomplish that? How, did he, how could he deal with that, that, that the Bible says, yet we're all sinners, yet we're all in need of a Savior, yet we're all, we're all destined apart from redemption, the wrath of God. But how could God forgive us of our sins, which are, a, which are an affront to him, but yet remain a holy God that we sang about earlier? This verse tells us about it. Let's all stand together as we read Romans, the third chapter. We'll start back in verse 21, and we'll read down to verse 31. If you remember, we have studied that, that, God began, that Paul began this, this whole letter to the Romans about just how much of a need and how a desperate situation that all men are because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Again, I could put my name there. Johnny's not righteous, nor anyone else. And, and so it, it all puts us, puts us in that situation. It doesn't matter whether we're where we came from. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or a, or, um, a convict. We all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But then he says in verse 21, this is the good news. But now, but now the righteousness of God, apart from truth of the law, which he says, righteousness apart from anything that man can do is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, I can put my name there, for Johnny has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has 
faith in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. So there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do then do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord and God. We, we thank you. We thank you for the grace, dear Lord, that the God that you has bestowed upon man and, and God that you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I just pray this morning that God, as we study your word, that Oh, my Lord, that you would just um, show yourself to us, God, in a mighty and a great way. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen and amen. The very core sin problem of every man and, and what causes this world to be broken in the way that it does it is, is because there was a time that, although that he created God, created man and placed him in a perfect environment, it was man who chose to rebel against God. It was a man who, who chose that, that he wanted to be as God. He wanted to make his own decisions. He did not want God as the, the ruler, as the controller of his life. He wanted to be the ruler and the controller of his life, and so self was placed on the throne of his heart. And every one of us since Adam has found ourselves in that same predicament. Because the very core, the very, the very root of each of our rebellion or sin against God is selfishness. We want to be in control. And so therefore, even as man might claim that he understands about his sinfulness and he he claims he wants to be right with God, he even based his own righteousness on what he could do for God. That's why we developed religions. That's why people have have based their their salvation upon their good works, that, that if I can do this and this and this, if I can go to church enough or I can... I can be a part of the Lord's Supper. I can sing the songs, and surely God has to allow me into his heaven. But folks, it doesn't work that way. Because regardless of all the good deeds that we may do, it does not erase that rebellion in our heart against God. And so God or man finds himself in a predicament. I mean, if a very religious guy or a very good woman can't get to heaven, then what am I to do? And God says, there's nothing you can do. Nothing that you can do that's good enough for my righteousness. But that's where we begin to examine last week that wonderful transition where the Apostle Paul says, but now... Now, I tell you, when, you, when you're reading the Bible, and, you, and, and you, you have to read it on through. Because many times you'll read something, man, this is crazy. This, this isn't good. 
But you need to read it on through because many times you'll find that, that great transition, but God. And when you read that, those two words together, but God, you know there's something good about to happen. And that's what's happening here, that, that Paul spoke of the desperate condition of man, but he did not stop, but he says, but now God, God, God has showed us how we can receive his righteousness, but it's not through our works. It's not through the law, it's through faith. And last week, I spoke a very long time about faith. What is faith? Faith is much more than just an intellectual belief in God. Many people have an intellectual belief in God, and and James even said the devils believed, but yet they're condemned. The faith that is speaking of is a faith that is transferred from the intellectual into the heart, into a personal relationship where we are willing to place our trust and trust alone in God. As a matter of fact, if you take a penny and you look at that penny on, on, on one side, it's called heads. The other side, it's called tail, but it's the same penny. And it's the same way within our salvation that, that faith is placing our trust in God. But when we place our trust in God, there's another part of that, and that's called repentance. Because faith and repentance goes together. Because if I place my total trust in God, then what that requires me to do is I have to turn my back on myself. That I can't continually to do things placing my trust in Johnny anymore. But now I'm, I'm turning around and that's what repentance is. There's a change of mind that no longer am I going to try to work to please God and make myself right with God. But from now on, I'm going to do it God's way and I'm going to put my trust in him. That's why many times the words faith and repentance is almost interchangeable when we're speaking about salvation. You know, but sadly, for most people to get to that point, things have to bottom out. We talked about a man last week, about a man called Jacob, a man that had lived all his life manipulating and doing things his ways, but until that God putting between a literal rock, literal rock and a hard place where he couldn't go anywhere else. It's when Jacob realized that I can't do it anymore. I, 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 can't, I can't help myself through this situation. And it was through that that Jacob grabbed hold of God and said, God, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. As bad of a time that it was for Jacob, it turned out to be the best of times for Jacob because that was the night I believe he placed his trust in God. He said, God, I need you. And God changed his name. That night, I believe it was when Jacob received the righteousness of God, not because of what Jacob had done, but God has done for him. But how does that happen? Let's talk about that. Why does it have to be that way? That God reveals that, that, that there's righteousness apart from the law, but it's through faith. But how does it go about? How does that happen? And that's what Paul continues to come by, that, that God made that provision. He made the provision that we could come to him by faith. Provision? 
That means it probably comes with a price. And let's look first at the price of God's provision. Look at what it says in verse 24. He says, Being just, well, let me just go back in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are in that situation. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled against God. And because of that, because of our sin, we fall short of the glory and the holiness of God. And we can't erase that fact regardless of how many good deeds we do. But then he says that we, that we have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about that word justified for a moment. Tremendously important word pertaining to our salvation. And justification is a, it's a judicial declaration that is made to say that someone has been been pardoned from all of their sins. We know God being the the righteous judge, and it's us who have sinned against God himself, but but the Bible says that we've been justified. We have been declared free from the penalty of our sins. Wow. I want you to think of any I want you to think of the worst sin that probably comes up in your mind. And sometimes that sin that comes back and dogs you. But you know what the Bible says? Regardless of what sin, for though through faith, you can be justified without any cost of your own. Isn't that good? Regardless, justified. But I want you to understand something as we, we talk about this idea of justification. And, and I think I'd rather read something because they, they explained it a lot better than me. But in this eye of, of idea of justification, the writer reads that it's a judicial act of God but which he pardons all the sins of those who believe in Christ and accounts and accepts and treats them as righteousness in the eye of the law. So that... Instead of seeing our sins, he sees righteousness as conformed to all of his demands. But says, in addition to the pardon of sin, justification declares that all the claims of the law are satisfied in respect to the justified. That everything has been paid. It's the act of a judge and not of a sovereign, and the law is not relaxed or set aside. And this is important. Just because the, we speak of being justified, it doesn't mean that the law is not important. It doesn't mean that the law has no effect because the law is still into effect, and we'll see that at the end of this passage. That we are still held by the standard of that law, and any breaking of the law of God is sin against God. And so therefore, being justified does not mean the law is no longer into effect It's not relaxed or set aside, but it's declared to be fulfilled in the strictest of sense. So as the person justified is declared to be entitled to all the advantages and rewards arising from the perfect obedience of the law. But how did that happen? And see, that's what we're going to understand because we're justified that we have been declared not guilty. 
It's not because that the law's not important or not because of what we've done, but it's because somebody else has paid the price for us. And we're going to examine that in a moment. So justified that for those who are in Christ, that when God looks at us, our sins have been pardoned. And only he sees is his righteousness. And the Bible says that's free. It's free. That we've been justified freely. Isn't that good? Because basically what it's saying, you can't do anything to pay for your salvation. You can't do anything to pay for your pardon. You can't do anything to pay for the forgiveness of your sins. It's free. But we know, as I've always been taught, nothing is free. Somebody paid the price. It may be free to you and me, but somebody else had to pay the price. And you hold on to that. Because when we speak about free salvation, we speak about the cost that it has for you and me, but we must understand that there was a high price that was paid by someone else. Our justification where we have been declared free from the penalty of our sin that this is in the court of law, that that record has been wiped out against us. But it's not because of what we've done, but what, we, but what someone else has done. And let's look and see where the, who paid that price. Because the Bible continues on in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be the propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over all the sins that were previously committed. Wow. God has provided salvation. God has provided justification. God has provided the forgiveness of our sins that is free to us. It's nothing that we could do. But now he begins to declare who paid that price. It was his own son, Jesus Christ. And again, there's two important words. We, we've looked at the, the idea of justification, of being, being declared righteous from the righteous judge or, or declared not guilty by the righteous judge. But now, let's look at two other words, redemption and propitiation. Because although our salvation, our justification didn't cost you and me anything, it cost God everything. It cost the best he had. And he begins to explain how. First of all, he said, being justified freely by his grace, which means gift, that our salvation is a gift. God did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, redemption. Now, this is another term. This is, a, this is a term, more of an accounting term, where when, when someone is owed a bill that, that, um, or in debt, that someone comes and redeems that debt. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ was our Redeemer, that, that our redemption comes through him. I think one of the most beautiful pictures of redemption that you'll find anywhere, but it's found in the Bible, and I thank God that is, is in, in a one of the minor prophets, a guy by the name of Hosea. 
Now, Hosea was a prophet of God, and many times that God would, would work a real-life story through one of his prophets to teach you greater lessons, and that's what he was doing to Hosea. And he told his prophet that, Hosea, I want you to go out, and I want you to go into the city, and I want you to marry. I want you to start a family. And he says, but I tell you who I want you to marry is I want you to marry Gomer. And Hosea said, God, that's, Gomer's a prostitute. God says, I want, that's who I want you to go marry. And so he went and married Gomer. And they had a couple of children, and, and one of the children that was named, not my name, which means that probably the child that Gomer had was not Hosea's. I mean, she probably even had a, had a, had a, had a, a child for Hosea outside of their marital vows. How could, how could Hosea love such a woman? A woman that was not faithful to their vows, a woman that, that, that kind of made him a mockery. Don't you think that everybody in town kind of, kind of whispered when, when Hosea walked by that, that you know, all the men in town that, that might have been with, with Gomer and says, you know, that's, that's her husband. But Hosea still loved her. But Gomer even upped the ante when she left and she just went into full-time prostitution. And she had left Hosea and she was out doing her things with men until apparently that she had got herself in such a condition one day that she had to not only sell her body, but she had to sell herself on the slave market because she couldn't pay her accounts anymore. Hmm. How terrible would that be? How terrible could that be for, for Hosea that had such a wayward wife? But you put yourself in Gomer's situation and you see this, that she had got herself in such situation that the very one that loved her, her the most, she walked away from, and now she found herself in a situation where she couldn't even, she had to sell herself as a slave. God told Hosea, Hosea, I want you to go and buy her back. I want you to redeem her off that slave market. And I'm sure that Hosea had a little talk with the Lord. God, look what she's done to me. And look how she's embarrassed me. And how she has just ruined my name within the community. She's, she's hurt my ministry. But, but, but one thing about Hosea, he was faithful to the Lord. And the Bible says Hosea probably went to the dirtiest part of town where they, where they sold slaves. He went to the slave market and he didn't even have the price. He didn't, usually a slave was, for, was for 30 shekels. He only had 15 and then he had to give some extra grain to go along with it, which is telling us that, that Hosea was a poor man. And he, he, he gave everything he had to go back and purchase this wayward woman off the slave market. He paid her redemption price and bought her back home. Any one of us in this place would say, I wouldn't have done that. And I don't know if Hosea would have done that apart from God. 
But folks, Hosea is a beautiful picture of God himself. Where God has wants to call us by his name, but yet we go out and we adulterate ourselves to a world. And we turn our back on the God who loves us the most. But by his grace, when we are caught in the penalty and we become slaves to sin, he does not leave us there. He went back and bought us back through the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's the love of God. That's the redemption of God that, that although you are, you are in a situation where you've all sinned, you've all fallen short of the glory of God, there's none of you righteous. You've all turned your back on me. There's none that seeks after me. No, not one. All of these things which Paul has already said, that although we did not want anything to do with God and, and we brought harm to his name, but yet when we found ourselves in a position that we could not help ourselves, God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to pay our price. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The only payment for our sin is death. And God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die not for his sins, but to, buy, to die for my sins and your sins, to buy me off the slave market of sin. That's why many times in that powerful song is sung, I've been redeemed because it reminds me just what God has done for me. That he has taken me from the slavery of sin and he has purchased me. He's paid my price for me through the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. See, the law was not forgetting. Just like with, just like with, with Gomer, she was still guilty and had to pay her fines. Apparently, she had built up much um, pay or expenses that had not been paid. But somebody had to pay her price. And that was Hosea. Folks, somebody has to pay our price. And that was Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, for God so loved Tim that he gave his only begotten son to buy Tim off the slave market of sin. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. Folks, we have received a declaration of forgiveness not because of what we've done, but because of the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. But then he doesn't stop there. He uses some other imagery here. As he uses then that whom God set forth, speaking of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ whom God, that God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith. Propitiation, wow, that's one of those $60 words. The propitiation was, was actually a, used in, in, in Greek mythology that, that meant it was a sacrifice to satisfy the wrath of the gods. In the Greek mythology, if you had done wrong against the Greek gods and they were wanting to, to pour their wrath on you, that, that a sacrifice had to be made to satisfy 
their wrath. It was not quite used that way in, in, in biblical terms, but yet God still used the idea. He used the word because to, to carry over that idea because do you remember that when God in his Mosaic law and then through, through Moses and the Levitical order that when God built the, the tabernacle, that the tabernacle was in different sections and there was, a, there was a, a, an area for, for, for the women and then an area for the men and then an area for only the, the priests could go into. But in the back part of the tabernacle was a great veil and behind the veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant, there was a, there was a gold cover. That gold cover was called the propitiation seat, the mercy seat. And if you remember that only one time a year that uh, someone could approach you, that that spoke of the presence of God, and and only the high priest could approach the mercy seat or the propitiation. And it was that time that, that a lamb of atonement was slaughtered for all the sins of the people. And the priest would walk, the high priest would walk behind that curtain and would sprinkle the blood of the atonement lamb on the mercy seat, on the propitiation. Because what that was showing, that through the sacrifice, God's wrath has been satisfied. But what we find out in Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ died and he rose again, do you remember what happened? That veil was split in two, that no longer was there a separation between God and man, that it was split from the heaven to the earth, that God just opened himself up to man. Because Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. Jesus Christ is the propitiation. And so therefore, by the blood that he shed, that I don't have to go through any man anymore. I can go straight to God through Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus Christ, God's wrath has been satisfied. Because it was Jesus Christ that had God's wrath, my wrath, or the wrath that God intended for me upon him. So folks, be careful when you wag around the terminology that our salvation is free, that it may be free to you, but it wasn't free to God. God has offered salvation to you as a gift because there's nothing you can can do that can pay for that gift. But it costs God everything. So your justification to be declared free from the penalty and the guilt of your sin was free because of the price that Jesus Christ paid. That your redemption to, that, where God brought you, off, bought you off of the slave market and brought you back into his, in, into his family didn't cost you anything, but it cost him his, his own son, Jesus Christ. And the wrath of God that, that, that was, was meant for you, you, you were saved from the wrath of God, not because of what you've done, because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. And how do we receive that? By faith. By placing our total trust in the work of Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Can you see how much of a slap in the face it is to God and Jesus Christ when we still want to demand that we can do something? 
Because he paid such a high a price for you and me. And to think that we are so narcissistic to even think we can do anything for our salvation. When it costs God everything. But folks, the good news is this. It's been offered to you and me by his grace freely. But why did God have to do that? Why did I have to do, God have to pay such a high price so that he could declare his righteousness? Because folks, if it did not demand a high price for our sins, that means God was not very righteous. But the high price that was paid declared the righteousness of God because it, it took the gift of God himself to declare his own righteousness. As, as he says, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Only through the blood of the Lamb, only through the precious blood of Jesus Christ, would satisfy the righteousness of God. That's how righteous God is. And then he continues on. That God, he's, when it says God has passed over the sins that were previously committed, that confuses a lot of folks, and that's kind of an interesting thing. But, but probably what Paul was speaking about is for those who, who live before Jesus Christ, that, that they didn't understand exactly what, how God was forgiven, them, but they trusted by faith that somehow... God was going to provide a perfect sacrifice and they looked forward to the cross where we look back to the cross. And so even through the great plan of God, God had already provided salvation for those who died even apart before Jesus Christ came. But then the Bible says, it also, the purpose for our remission of sin, because the Bible says, the Bible says these words. Why did God have to give us His sin? To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, and listen to this: that He may be the just and the justifier. You know, because God is holy, that means God is just, and to just you have to make all things right. To be just, it wouldn't be a, a, a judge would not be just. If, if, if person, two people came into the courthouse and one person had harmed that other person and God, and God looked at the, the, the person that had did the harming, that, that had maybe stole the money from the other, and he says, you know what? You know, I've got to, I feel good today and I'm just going to forgive you of that. But the person that had lost the money has not been, been paid. Would that be fair? I mean, what if you were the one that, that, that somebody had robbed your money and then when you went to the judge, the judge felt real merciful that day and he just forgave that but, but didn't tell him, you need to be paid back. That wouldn't be a just God. So God can't look over, if he's a just God, he can't look over any sin. And so being a just God, he still had to address the, the penalty of sin in each of our lives and therefore... It was paid by his son, Jesus Christ. So he is still just. He didn't look over the sin, 
It was simply paid by someone else. And so not only is God just, but also he's the justifier because he's the one that paid the price. Isn't that cool? So you, let's go back. You're in the courtroom. This guy had, had, had robbed some money from you. And God and the judge looked at that guy and says, listen, um, I feel merciful today. I'm going to forgive you. But you know what? You've been pinched, so I'm going to take the money out of my own pocket, and I'm going to give it back to you so that you can be made right. That judge would be just because the penalty was paid, but he's also the justifier because he paid the penalty. We serve a cool God, folks. I mean, he covers every angle. Not only is he just, but also he's the justifier. And what does this all mean? I just want to come back and I want to close. What does this infer? What what does what Jesus Christ accomplished for you and me, what are the inferences? What does that mean to you and me? Since he made the provision to offer his righteousness apart from the law through faith. First of all, the first inference is that no man can boast. No one can brag about, look what I've done. And Paul deals with that. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of faith. He says no one has the right to boast about their salvation. When we speak about our salvation, instead of feeling giddy, we need to get on our knees and say, apart from God, I'd be damned to hell. And we need to humbly come to the throne and say, thank you, Lord. There's no boasting because of what God did for us. But also that because of Jesus Christ died and he, he, he lived a perfect life and he, he died, he, he died for all folks. And so not only should no man boast, but no man is excluded. As he continues on. Or is he God of the Jews only or is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. For God so loved the world, he loved the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, that's not speaking of universalism, just because Jesus died that all people are going to be saved. No, because he gave a condition, you're saved by faith. It's only those who come to him through faith, through your trust in him, that will be saved. So you'll not be able to blame God. Any person that ever dies apart from Christ and they, they are sent to a devil's hell will never be able to shake their fist at God and say, God, you sent me to hell. No, God says, I made a provision for you, but you rejected my provision. I provided a gift for you, but you chose not to receive. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God to everyone who believes. There is that great condition. So no man can boast. No man is excluded. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But also it teaches us, and this is a very, very important point, that God's law is not abolished. That God's law is still in effect. Listen to what he says. He says, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. No, on the contrary, we establish the law. What he's saying is the law is not made of none effect. The law of God still, still stands. It still is the thing that, that, that reveals his righteousness. It's still the thing that is our tutor to, to, to know that we're not, we, there's nothing we can get, do that's, that's good enough because we can't keep the law within ourselves. 
although we should strive. And it was because of the law of God that Jesus Christ had to die so that God could be just. And so just don't go all around and say, you know, God's law is not important anymore. Folks, God's law is real important because it's through the law we see the glory of God. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ, because he, God sent Jesus Christ. And another, word, another idea for grace, that we're saved by grace through faith, another idea of grace is, is doing something for someone else they can't do for themselves. And folks, that for by, for by grace are we saved. That's when, when God provided salvation for us in something we couldn't do for ourselves. He did for us what we couldn't do through his son, Jesus Christ. And folks, that's the good news that, that we need to tell the world. And so therefore, no matter who anyone is, we can go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God and the salvation. For anyone who'd believe, even for the Jews or the Greek, that no matter how bad or a person has gotten and, and they're on that slave market, that the blood of Christ will redeem them from their sins. And the Father will bring them into the home with Him. We serve a good, good Father. And I want to close the day and I'm going to beg you. What about you? What about you? Do you know that, 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 that you have been redeemed? Do you know that, that, that you have been forgiven of your sins? And don't just sloth it off. Well, I'll do it some other day. You're not promised another day. God has, as, as this one old Lester Roloff old preacher says, he bankrupted heaven when he gave Jesus Christ for your sins. He gave the best he had. He paid your penalty. He bought you. He, he redeemed you off the slave market. And he satisfied the wrath of God all upon himself because of your need and my need. But you know what? It's only those who place their trust in him by faith. And I'm not speaking about intellectual faith. It's that faith where you're saying, God, I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to that self, and I'm going to place you on the throne of my heart because you alone can save me. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you today? I plead with you. I, I just, I contend with you today. There's no greater Savior than Jesus Christ. There can be no greater gift than for the salvation of our souls. And God gave everything for you and me. And I ask you to do something about that. If you are not resting in the work of Jesus Christ today, then you're not resting at all. Because always in the back of your mind, you're thinking, how much more do I need to do? And folks, there'll never be enough. It's only through Jesus Christ. But how do we come to him we come to him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart.
We come to him recognizing that, God, I need you. I need you. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? I ask you today to make this the day of your salvation. I ask you today, if you are not certain about your salvation, I ask you today, if if you have been caught up into a web of sin and thinking there's no help for me, that you reach out and you call upon the one who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you and receive that gift that's free to you but cost him everything. Would you call upon Jesus today? It's not about the person sitting next to you. It's about you. I ask you to cry out to him. In just a moment, I'm going to ask our our song team to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. Because in just a moment, we're going to have something that's called, we call invitation. We invite you. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you? Maybe you need someone to pray with you. Maybe you need to talk to someone about your relationship with Christ. I invite you to come. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and just cry out to God and and maybe need someone to pray with you. The altar's open, my friend. Folks, when we really begin to understand what God has done for us, then we begin to understand his great love for you. There is a Father in heaven who loved you enough to give his only son. Shouldn't we be on our knees thanking him? And praising him for what he's done. Shouldn't we run to such a loving father? I want to ask our music team to come as we, as we pray. Father God, you bless this time. And God, to realize that through Jesus Christ we're justified. Through Jesus Christ we're redeemed. And through Jesus Christ, he is our propitiation. That God, that your wrath has been satisfied. Oh Lord. God, let us grab hold of you. Bless this time, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I realize this is a, this is, this is a serious subject. I, I've shared with my wife last night, how am I going to, how am I going to, three terms that are just so major, justification, redemption, propitiation, but they all come through the person of Jesus Christ. Folks, our salvation is complete, complete. We don't add anything to it. As the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I'm going to ask you to stand. As our team begins to sing, if you need to come to the altar, the altar's open. If you need to come and talk to someone about Jesus Christ, right where you are, if you need to call upon the name of the Lord, you call upon him. But let someone pray with you. Would you come? Would you come? The altar's open, my friend.